Welcome to another episode of Iron Sharpens Iron, a podcast that will go into the conversations that will help you sharpen your faith. We on Iron Sharpens Iron believes that who you surround yourself with matters, and at the heart of this belief is Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. All right, today on Iron Sharpens Iron, we have Father Cheney joining us today, no other than the pastor of St. Paul's Newman Center. So, Father Cheney, do you want to kind of introduce yourself? And Awesome. Uh, just just glad to be here to sharpen things up a little bit with some iron. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Don't Guys, get those shavings in your eyes, Father. That's it. All right. Let's awesome. get some real steel going on, some structure. Yeah. What up? <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the family a little bit, um, the role of a father, the mother, son, daughter, um, really... I'm basing it kind of off the quote um, by St. John Vianney. It's, I turn to you, dear parents, and implore you to imitate the holy family of Nazareth. Um, it's just a quote I wanted to start this out off with, with uh, kind of getting an idea of what, what we want to represent as families. Um, and I'm sure maybe you, Nate, know as a, yeah. as a father, maybe represent St. Joseph a little bit. Or uh, yeah, you know, I reflect on St. Joseph often. Um, when, when I just consider my role as a father. I have five kids at home. Oldest is 10. Uh, youngest is just turned four months. And then we got kids everywhere in between. And uh, yeah, family life, it's like a blessed life. And it'll crucify you and put you to death at the same time. It, it's just kind of this great mashup and mix. It uh, stretches you. It purifies you. Uh, but it also makes you into the best version of yourself. So um, you know, for, for so many, I mean, the vast majority of people who are uh, called into a vocation, it, it's going to be into marriage and eventual family. Um, that's just kind of what, what history bears out within the church. And so I think, it, you know, for the majority of people, this will be their route towards sanctity and holiness. And uh, especially lately, we've been, uh, our youngest, our four-month-old has you know, kind of entered a sleep regression, which happens at about four months. They they kind of, uh, if they were sleeping good before, they all of a sudden decide not to sleep so so well. Yeah. And uh, and it'll drive you nuts because you, you're about four months in, you're kind of at the end of a marathon. So you're already a little bit gassed and you're, you're ready for that rest. And then they give you like what would be akin to like an uphill run at the very last stretch of it. So, um, so yeah, it tests you. It, it, it certainly does, but it also draws out that, that greater love. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess from that, um, let's just get right into it. And what's the role of a father to you? Um, I guess for me, I, I just jotted a few things down just in prayer on, on what I think a father should be, whether it be, um, just a father in your point of view or a spiritual father, like a priest, um, should be God fearing, love your wife, whether it be your wife or the, the church, um, love your children and then pray for your family and be there for them and be, um, the provider for the family. Um, be like Joseph basically. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, the righteous father, the righteous man. Um, yeah. And I think men, especially we have this, this protective instinct within us, um, you know, whereas uh, women, and I think of my wife a lot in this, they, they're just naturally more nurturing, right? And, and yeah, they come out protective, like in the mama bear sense, but, but men, they just, we, we just want to like, um, 
you know, keep harm away from from those that are under our care. We want to we want to shelter them. We want to protect them. But at the same time, I think it's important that fathers push. Right. So mm-hmm. if mothers set sort of a boundary in the rules of a household, the fathers come in and enforce and try to sort of draw the greatness out of their children. They're more likely to like push their children in in a positive way to achieve something higher, to see something greater, to sort of endure the pain. Whereas a mom wants to just kind of fix it and make it better. So I think yeah. just even in, in masculinity, femininity, as it comes out in fatherhood and motherhood and things like that, you're going to see sort of this this different angle, which maybe touches on the need for uh, what a family is. I mean, mm-hmm. in the traditional sense, it's it's a mother and a father with children in a household. But, you know, take it a step further in the Christian sense, it's a married mother and a father and their children, right? Yeah. Because our world has has a lot of different com- combinations of this, and I'm sure we'll touch on it here um, as the episode unfolds. Yeah. So yeah, a man and a woman committed to each other for the benefit of, of the children and for the benefit of the couple yeah. um, to be able to uh, benefit from the bonds of love. And then and from that love um, comes forth the family. Yeah, and, and it gets at the heart of what, what marriage is, Father, right? Which is it, it's for the begetting and raising of children. Right? There's really no other definition or purpose of it. If, if well, it's, for, not, it's one of those four yeah. and things, you yeah. know, too, because, um, you know, a man and a woman definitely benefit from the privilege of being able to love somebody. Right. You know, so right. that's, you can't say, you can't. You definitely can't exclude that. Oh, no, no, not at all. That that unitive aspect of of marriage for sure is there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess on that note, um, Father, I don't know if you want to touch on a little bit of the role of Father in the the priesthood and the the church there. Yeah, it's, uh, well... It's it's, kind of a deep question, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's everything. I mean, I think Nate already touched on it, you know, uh, as a spiritual father, you want to provide for the needs of your flock, you know, through the sacraments, through, um, you know, the breaking open of the Word of God uh, to provide a, a pathway to eternal life. Uh, and the neat thing about campus ministry is we have such a tremendous opportunity um, in that sacred time of, you know, well, I consider it to be a sacred time, 18 to 21, because mm-hmm. most people are going to decide what kind of person they're going to be, you know. So um, just providing an opportunity to encounter Christ, um, who is the true formator. You know? I love that, uh, you know, we always wrap up ordinary time with our Lord Jesus Christ, comma, the king of the universe, you know. So um, so providing that encounter with Christ and to, um, you know, feed their souls and to... Try to protect him from, you know, the harms of, um, you know, uh, the secular idea- ideology that is just uh, um, consuming uh, our world and and destroying and destroying the family. You know, mm-hmm. we see that going back to, you know, the advent of, of contraception in '61, as uh, Dr. Janet Smith, you know, prudently points out that, you know, it doubled the divorce rate. It uh, uh, created a lot of chaos in society. It destroyed the family. Um, and that's what we're kind of seeing today. Um, and uh, hopefully we can um, form the future leaders that we need to um, embrace uh, the, the good of marriage. We, we see a lot of marriages uh, through um, through the Newman Center, 
But one of the concerning trends in today's world, I think, is the uh, out of wedlock pregnancy rate. You know, so in 1960, it was 25%. Now it's it's close to, you know, 60%, 70% overall. You know, um, so I don't know. There's some other disturbing trends in the world today when we look at the family. Nate, what do you what do you see as a father? Yeah, I, I, you know, I see it a lot in um, how children are being raised right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the father's not not present and engaged uh, in the household or completely absent altogether, uh, I, I guess I'm fortunate in that a lot of the people I know just in a social setting, most of those those couples and families, the father is present right there in the household. And, and that makes sense, right? You know, the friends <coughs> I'm likely to have are going to come from that Judeo-Christian background. They're going to be faithful Catholics. But um, I think how they're being raised, though, despite maybe a dad being it, I, I do see a lot of dads that are kind of checked out a little bit. They're mm-hmm. they're more concerned with their hobbies. Uh, they're, they're super absorbed in sports or even video games. I actually see a lot of of men uh, right now that are, you know, in their 30s and even 40s that, you know, spend an inordinate amount of time absorbed playing video games with with other men online. And you're not engaged with your kids, you know, and not not to sort of like try to remove a splinter from from my brother's eye while leaving the log beam in my own. Like I find uh, that that temptation to be disengaged when coming home one of the great temptations of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you come home, you're tired after a day of work, you know, you just want to kind of like unwind. And so there's this temptation to like just turn the phone on and start infinitely scrolling, you know, through whatever mindless content happens to be on social media. Yeah. And if I don't, if I don't keep on it, I find myself slipping into that very, very easily. Whereas my kids are running around, they're so excited. There's, there's nothing like walking through the door after a day of work and being completely mauled with the, you know, like the war cry of daddy as, as they just come after you, every mm-hmm. one of them. They're so excited, um, so excited that you're home. And to so casually set that aside for what, you know, to be absorbed in this like worldly swamp of social media or video games or... I mean, it's probably a whole other show on its own, but pornography is is still pretty rampant, even in the married vocation. So, I mean, we we probably can't unpack that one. That probably takes its own episode. But, oh, yeah. um, but I think those are the things that even within when the dad's present at home, there's a lot of temptations and a lot of things the world throws at, at fatherhood that that just destroy family life from the inside. Yeah, because you, as a father, you are a huge role model, role model to your kids. Like even the priesthood too, they're role models as spiritual fathers to their parishioners. And looking at just the statistics of, you know, we were talking about out of wedlock pregnancies and, and, you know, kids to get on drugs, hooked on drugs early. Um, it's, you look at the statistics and it's from either a father who is disconnected with their children or a father who wasn't present for his children. And, it's, it's because you see the importance of having the roles of the mother and the father together in a marriage yeah. and what that impact it has on the kids and the family. Yeah. And there's some, some great research. One of my, one of my favorite um, authors and sociologists in, in this area is um, Dr. Mary Eberstadt. She's done some great work just digging into the research. And I, 
you know, they, she wrote an article uh, about a year ago called Critical Father Theory. So it's sort of this play off of, you know, the critical race theory term that's that's out there now. But, um, you know, I think this appeared in The Spectator, but but she she quotes this. She says, America's crime problem is a father problem. And then she goes on a little bit later uh, after summarizing um, some things from the Moynihan Report of 1965. She, she quotes what uh, the Minnesota Psychological Association summarized in um, one of their, their symposiums. She says, family structure and the lack of paternal involvement are predictive of juvenile delinquency. The more opportunities a child has to interact with his or her biological father, the less likely he or she is to commit a crime or have contact with the juvenile justice system. Youths who never had a father living with them have the highest incarceration rates, while youths in father-only households display no difference in the rate of incarceration from that of children coming from two-parent households. And you think about that for a moment, like the absence of the father skyrockets incarceration rates. But even if you don't have a mother and a father both present in the house at one time, and you only have a father, in terms of incarceration rates, the outcome will be equal, the, the rates will be lower as if both mother and father were present there. And I think that's just one element that highlights so strongly the need of, if you want a healthy family, uh, you have to have a father present. It, it's often said that uh, so goes the family, so goes society. Well, I would take it one step further and say so goes fatherhood, so goes the family, mm-hmm. and so goes society. So I think fatherhood is is like the linchpin of the whole thing. Well, there's no question. The gold star standard in terms of what is uh, best for the children is is a mother and father. You know, and the family. I think it's just so critical. It's just, it's one of those key building blocks to our, our community, our culture, our society, our world. You know, if um, we don't have uh, 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 families, you know, our, our whole society falls apart. So, um, you know, thus the importance of of doing what we can to uh, promote the nuclear family. Um, and I think we've gone in just the opposite direction, you know. So, but instead of, you know, promoting and, and trying to encourage the gold star standard for what's best for our children, thus our communities, societies, our country, um, we're, we're kind of doing the opposite. But, um, yeah, the peer-reviewed scientific data is, is pretty clear. Uh, a, a mother and a father are the gold star standard in terms of, you know, what's best for our, 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 our kids, our, and our world, our yeah. future, really, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it reminds me of that, um, quote from Sister Lucia, uh, of, uh, the Fatima apparition. She's one oh, of the yeah. three children. And, and, you know, she said the final battle between the Lord and the kingdom of Satan will be about marriage and the family. But then she went on to say, don't be afraid because whoever works for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be fought against and opposed in every way because this is the decisive issue. And she concluded with, nevertheless, Our Lady has already crushed his head. So I mean, there's, there's hope in it. I mean, the, the situation is dire and it's all around us, yeah. but I think there's so much hope still to be had. And, and I'm seeing it in pockets of, of other young families that are starting mm-hmm. to be generous with welcoming kids into the world and raising those children in a godly way, taking, uh, you know, the call to be the primary formators and educators of those children very seriously. Uh, and, and I'm seeing something grow up like a, a real counterculture of the antidote. And it, it's, 
it's maybe like small in corners, but it's there. And, and where it's really healthy, what you actually have is, is a really normal, functioning, almost alternate society where, okay, if the world's crazy and, and sort of disintegrating before our eyes, in these little pockets, we're actually seeing healthy family life, healthy childhood, uh, abundant life. I mean, there's happiness abounds mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. just in the way that we interact and the kids play like kids have played for, you know, thousands of years since the beginning of time. You know, so it, it doesn't take much to actually correct it. All you have to do is go back and do the godly pattern thing. Mother, father, in marriage, raise them. You know, yeah. raise them in those same values, those same virtues. Yeah. It makes me think of the, I don't know if someone said this or I'm just remembering it. I, th- I know I heard it from my dad, but he asked me one, one day, he's like, Matt, how do, you, how do you teach a kid how to love God? I thought about it for a second. I'm like, well, you just love God because they're going to look to you and, you know, you tell a kid what, what you think they're going to, they're going to look to you and believe you because you're their, you're their role model. You're their, yeah. their, their pillar that they look to. So yeah. how do you teach caught. someone to love God? You love God yourself. Absolutely. And, More and is caught this. than taught. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you could, you could like give them detailed lessons all the time, but they're going to look to you and want to imitate you in everything. Um, I think, uh, about, uh, my son Judah, he's seven and uh, we've been really into baseball this summer. And start of the year, he really didn't know anything about it, right? None of the rules of the game. Got him in a little league. We've been watching some, uh, some Cubs games in the evenings. Now this kid, he can walk up and he starts rattling off every detail of the game. Why? Because we shared that together and he just wants to be like dad. Like he just wants to love what dad loves. And, and it's been really fun to develop that mutual hobby. And it was kind of cool watching him last night. One of the coaches in practice was working with him and then they had a game and he, uh, he finally kind of, it clicked for him, uh, you know, the batting stance and, and like sort of the process of swinging the bat. Mm-hmm. And he, he went three for three and got an RBI last night. And it was just kind of cool to watch it <laughs> click for him. And, and he looked like a baseball player last night. You know, he didn't look like he was just kind of like throwing the bat out there to try to meet the ball. He, he was holding the bat. He was tapping the plate. It was just so much fun to watch. Yeah, I think that, that hits on one of the core responsibilities of a family in the rite of baptism. You know, parents make a promise to God that they will make an effort to teach their children how to how to love God. You know, so the secret of the universe, do the best you can with the time that you have for the glory of God. Um, and, you know, at the end of our lives and when parents have to come before God, if they if they made no effort whatsoever to teach their children anything about God, you know, uh, what's going to happen? I mean, I don't know. I'm not God, but <laughs> I don't know. Something <laughs> seems, about millstones, ominous, Father. You know? <laughs> Something about millstones. I'm not you sure. Know? <laughs> but I, I think about that in terms of you know, how lackadaisical um, a lot of people are about, they think, you know, like baptism is like a, a magic formula. You know, you just you just get your kid baptized and he'll go to heaven, you know. So, um, but, you know, that's a pretty serious, yeah. you know, promise and commitment that you're making before God, you know. So, you know, make sure your kids, uh, I mean, go to church on Sunday, yeah. receive the sacraments, you know, learn something about the faith and, and I think what what you're hitting on is absolutely key. Is the you know uh, the example that you lead uh, for your children as well is probably you know really um, directive. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know it goes back to that basic notion of cooperation with grace. You know, baptism 
you know, sanctifies us and, and brings us into the family of God. But we still have to build on that and cooperate on that. You know, grace perfects nature, right? It comes in and it it builds on what God, you know, what we're created for. And and God wants to do so much. Like he wants to have so much breakthrough in all of our lives. But if we never cooperate with it, and if we don't, you know, uh, almost intentionally go after raising our kids, you know, someone will raise them. They, they're That's not right. gonna, yeah, it, it's not yeah. a vacuum. It, it, they will be influenced in one way or another. Who's that influence gonna be? It, it better be the godly parents. Otherwise, the culture will get a hold of them. Well, and, yeah, otherwise it's gonna be porn and video games. Yeah. I mean, that's where we're at yeah. in, in the world mm-hmm. today. Well, well and, <laughs> and, then, and then you get all the Sad. other ideologies, the critical race theories that are going about that are so contrary to the human person yeah. and the truths of the human person. So, I mean, we have to be on our guard. And I think a lot of parents ha- have sort of woken up to this reality that, well, I, I can't just trust in the same way that maybe generations past could trust some of the mediating institutions in our culture, like public schools and things like that. Or even and, an iPhone. Yeah, like, oh, exactly. Giving your kid a smartphone, yeah, you know, it, without thinking about, okay, what's everything that's that's on there? Oh, I know. know? It, so. I mean, that's a gateway to all of it. So you may even yeah. do everything right, but if you hand them, you know, a smartphone with, with sort of unrestricted access or... When they're 12. It, or, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's... I mean, what the average age of pornography exposure, I think, is nine. Nine something or ten, like that. No, yeah. yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's happening through these smartphones on playgrounds mm-hmm. that, okay, maybe I didn't even send it with, with my kid to school, yeah. but another kid has one in their backpack and pulls it out on the playground. I mean, as much as we try to police that in a, in a school or public setting... I mean, kids, they're crafty. They'll find a way. Oh, I know. When I was nine years old, I was putting playing cards in the spokes of my pedal bike, so it sounded like a motorbike. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Same thing, right? So, I mean, you know, I just grieve the loss of innocence that has happened in a generation, you know, because the computer came into the home, you know, with the old dial-up or whatever, and most parents weren't even aware. No. Uh, They just thought it was a tool to do homework on or whatever. Right. Not even really aware uh, of the dark side of the Internet. But, boy, we've got to be able to, you know, at least be aware of what's going to happen. Yeah. And And I don't know what it is. It almost seems like there's a cognitive dissonance with with people and their willingness to look at that cuz i don't know what it is like they think uh you know they think well my kid would never do that right. you know but it's not like that it's just there's so much of it out there with it with a click on an ad or uh, oh yeah or a swipe in the wrong way and and boom you yeah, know, you, you don't you don't exposed. have to you don't have to go to pornhub to yeah. to be exposed to this stuff i mean yeah. it's it's going to be found in a social media feed buried in some, you know, advertisement, like you're saying, or somebody mm-hmm. else's post or it, it, it's out there and, and, and it sort of it's an innocuous thing and yeah. it finds its way in. And, you know, these social media companies, for all their virtue signaling, don't care a lick about actually policing or monitoring or putting checks on things like that. Um I can't tell you how many times in a social media feed I would have to report an ad for being entirely inappropriate. And I do every time just to be like, get it out of here. But guess what? They just keep coming. Whereas if you try to promote something virtuous, they'll block you as like, you know, some some yeah. like toxic content. Some hateful, yeah. bigoted person who's yeah. on the internet. But. but I mean, a parent shouldn't think that they're, they're going to think less of their children by by putting restrictions on 
on an iPhone or something right. like that. I mean, it, it's just it's the same thing as like you know feeding your kids or or making sure they don't get run over when they're crossing the street. Or Absolutely, it's 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 really a safety environment thing. Yeah, and and parents I think really have to be proactive. You know because definitely you know eighty to ninety percent of of uh, our young adults coming out of high school today um, have a weekly porn habit. Yeah, and that started when they were nine. Yeah. You know, so yeah. be vigilant. I think that's part of where we're at with the family today. I think so. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to roll it back here from the from the, the porn conversation. But uh, like I said, we're going to have to do another episode. On <laughs> I think we're going sure. to have a lot of episodes on. on <laughs> I think we're probably going to have to come yeah. back to the family, family right. thing in general. Um, no, great conversation, though. But um, bringing it back to the family, I guess we can start talking about the role of the mother we spent. I think about half the episode talking about the yeah. father. And I think we all have kind of a good idea of the role of the father. And we're probably going to have a little less to talk about on the role of a mother just because we're all naturally, as men, um, guided towards towards the fatherly aspect. But um, in future episodes, I'm hoping to get probably one of the sisters on here to yeah. talk more or about the role of a mother. But I guess in your standpoint, um, from your point of yeah. view... Uh, so, so I think role of a mother immediately. I, I think of my wonderful wife, right? Um, she, she is such a nurturing person. Loves our children, and has this instinct towards what they need. Um, you know, whether it's the baby crying, and I'm just sort of, eh, I'm doing other things. I'll get get to her when I can. There, there's something that tugs on a mother's heart that goes to the needs of of their children, right? That wants to, you know had a bandage up the skin knee, you know, whereas the dad's like, ah, throw some dirt on it and get back out there, you know? So I, I think right there, and, and even just like meals and things like that, I find myself when I, when I go on the weekend, when maybe I'm having to like cook meals and stuff, it takes maximum effort to try to get something as basic as nutrition on the table for my kids. Cause I, it's just not in my wheelhouse to think like that, where she's so instinctive and caring for every need for it. So I think right there, and it's even it's even built into like a woman's body, right? If you just kind of look at the construct of a woman's body versus a man's body in terms of, of body fat contents versus muscle contents, it's made to be, you know, honestly softer and nurturing, life-giving. And so whereas a man is 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 firmer, harder, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's made to to work, to to, to protect that kind of a thing. So, so I think even just as we consider from like a theology of the body standpoint, like God made something into the woman's body to be nurturing and loving and, and to bring comfort to wherever she is. The second thing, and, and this is maybe so specific to home, uh, uh, children, but it's more home life. Um, one of the things that my wife brought to the table right away when we got married was she made my dwelling, my four walls and a roof into a home. And, and what it, at first it was, you know, a, a two bedroom apartment that we were renting for a few hundred bucks a month. But now that we're, you know, 13 years into marriage, the home has become a warm and inviting place. And she's also made it into sort of what the catechism uh, speaks about. And I think we touched on it last week is sort of like this domestic church, this mini oratory, a place of prayer. So she's constructed all of this. There's a home altar. There's um, there's you know saint cards to help you know the the kids 
learn the community of saints and help mm-hmm. with catechesis. Um, and, and there's prayer everywhere that you turn. And I think that's the, the vision that she brings to the home is that, that it, it's not just this place of shelter and refuge from, from you know, the external <coughs> elements, but it's actually a place of growth. It's a place where uh, through her nurturing care and touch, they can actually thrive and become the best human being that they can. I mean, they're, they just, they're loved. Yeah. And, and that's the catalyst. The, the mother brings that sort of heart of love into the picture. Yeah, the nature of nurture, I guess. You know, the uh, foundation for the metaphysics of morality is the affirmation of being. So just affirming uh, that, you know, you're a human being. You're a good thing. You know, I'm always so fond of telling the story. When I was a, a little kid, my mommy used to make me pancakes and she put butter on it and syrup, and then she would cut up into little bite-sized pieces for me. And it was just, uh, you know, from that moment on, just realizing that, wow, I'm, I'm loved, I'm cared for. Um, and then, you know, your, your being here in the world is a good thing, yeah. you know? So, mm-hmm. so just those basics of, of affirmation and love, I think, help draw us out into the world and give us the courage to, to be who we're called to be in, in God. Uh, yeah. It's a tremendous gift, uh, motherhood. Yeah, I, I love that word affirmation because I think that's what every person needs is to be affirmed in their life. Yeah, and if you're told that you're no good, or you're you're maybe you're not even told that you're no good, but you're not affirmed in the pursuit of that good, it's very easy to be discouraged. And just kind of, well, just as the word says, lose courage, discourage, lose courage. Yeah, yeah. it's almost, it's, it's just, just as primitive as Pavlov and the Salvini puppy, yeah. do, puppy dogs, right? I yeah. mean, it, it is. classical conditioning, but it's it's more than that because, yeah. you know, a mother is and a father, your first friends in life. They co-created yeah. you with God. She carried you within her her body for nine months. She she sacrificed her life for you. I, I think about my mom. She had four kids. By the time she was 26, she gave up everything Absolutely. for her kids. You know, yeah. just a tremendous level of sacrifice, um, and just did it without even thinking about it. You know, yeah. just just as these are my kids, I love them. I'm going to take care of them. You know, it was just uh, I think about the sacrifices that uh, you know my parents made when when we were uh, just kids, and it uh, I'm, I'm I'm amazed by it. Yeah, it it. it, it Reminds me of the words you say at every mass at consecration, Father, right? As you consecrate, the, this is my body given for you, right? Mm-hmm. I've actually witnessed that with a mother carrying a child and giving birth to that child. This is my mm-hmm. body given for you. It is incredible how much time from conception through the birth of the child, through the nursing of the child, most mothers on average, they're giving up two years mm-hmm. of their bodily autonomy for the life of that child. And, and that's just to get reach sort of this bare minimum point where mm. the dad can kind of help out with that process. <laughs> it's uh, it's yeah. absolutely incredible. And then they'll, they'll take sometimes not much of a break or a breather, but they're willing to do it again. What holiness is found in this, this willingness to bring forth new life and give their bodies? And it does take a toll. Uh, I've witnessed it, you know, with my wife at home. I've it, witnessed it in other mothers who've had... Uh, multiple children. Um, it really does take a toll on them to do this, but there's such a beauty. It's, it reminds me of that passage, uh, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it bears no fruit. But if it do- falls to the earth and dies, it, it'll bear 30, 60, 100 fold. Um, 
And yeah. that's what a mother's doing when she's giving new life, right? She's given yeah. up her body. But look at the fruit that it's being born. And the hope is these children, we raise them right, we send them out. They're going to do even greater things. I think of uh, St. Saint, uh, Zelia Louis Martin and you know, St. Therese, their daughter, mm-hmm. but, but their other children too, um, you know, was it four or five other daughters uh, that became, all became sisters. But they, had, they lost four children too in the midst wow. of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have an icon of, of their family hanging in our dining room. They've become something of a, um, you know, an inspiration, an intercessor for our family because that's what I want. Actually, I want my road to sanctity and sainthood to go through my children. Mm. They'll be canonized first. And if I do my job right, maybe I maybe I got a shot at it. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, one of the handbooks, I think, for what a holy family, uh, uh, you know, how, how, how do we work towards a holy family, um, you know, grace building on nature, is John Paul II's Christian family in the modern world. Uh, and one of the key points, and you touched on it here, Nate, it's kind of interesting. He talks, he uses that word consecration. Um, just like you know, we use in the mass when yeah. the priest consecrates the host, that one of the purposes of marriage he talks about is for a mother and father to consecrate their their children. Um, you know, that's one of the key ends of yeah. of what they're about. Um, and I've always just been amazed by that um, with the Christian family in the modern world. That um, you know, the ability to to consecrate, you know. Uh, your sacrifice to God for this, for the sake and good of the children, you know, um, uh, in, into the essence of the Paschal mystery you hit on with John twelve twenty four, yeah, dying, rising, going forth, you know, bearing fruit. Yeah, it's it's almost like your your life gets bound up in their life. It's the appropriate order, and really, you think about just contemplating the mystery of the union of of man and woman in holy matrimony, and the fruit of that union is is the child, right? And, and it, acknowledging, of course, those who, who, for no fault of their own, can't have children, right? It's still a fruitful union in the sense of that, that unitive and, and whatever else God may call them to. But um, I, I just think of that person that would not exist but for that union. Mm-hmm. And and so it's it's literally a, a, a walking, breathing, talking person that is is now here that would not exist but for that participation and co-creation with God. It's it's a really a profound mystery to contemplate. Yeah, for sure. Um, St. Edith Stein, she said, a mother is fashioned as a shelter at which other souls may unfold. So when you started talking about how your wife came in and uh, kind of made your home a home, yeah, um, it made me think about how, you know, kind of a mother's instinct is to provide this this comforting shelter for her family to be able to unfold and and be comfortable with the area they're in to help their soul unfold and the world I think really show or kind of tells like a woman that you know motherhood is you're meant for more than just motherhood but then in my opinion like motherhood is is the peak for for women just like for men fatherhood is is that peak of, of the great things that you can do in this life. And just because the world's saying, hey, you can be a great scientist, you can be a great astronaut, you can be all these great things, which, I mean, no, no disrespect to them. It's all great. They are great things. But motherhood and fatherhood, those are really the, the peak um, journeys in life you can get to. Yeah. And, and the peak performance you can give is in 
those vacations as mothers and fathers. Yeah, and another article I read by Mary Eberstadt, she uh, she had this great line where she says, generations of American women have been raised to fear their own fertility and to see life as a zero-sum game in which babies equal career cancellation. And it, it is, I, I think there's been this conditioning and it's happened over generations. It's in the contraceptive mentality. It's in, you know, the abortion movement that fertility is the enemy, mm-hmm. right? And and you see it in the, the ill effects of this in, in um, uh, birth rates and things like that. We're now below, even in the United States, below replacement levels, which is, I think is 2.1 children. Um, it, it has to be just to replace the population and we're now below it and, and, that's good compared to Europe and China and some Japan. of these other parts of the world. But, but it shouldn't be a thing to fear, and it, it shouldn't be a thing that should run counter to their hopes and their dreams because actually their deeper fulfillment is going to come through that. But there isn't a measure of, of faith that has to come into that, that like, well, maybe I have some of these hopes and dreams, but, but children will, if nothing else, amplify that, right? They'll actually make it a more fully like uh, full fulfillment of it um so yeah so i know what do you think it is nate i mean is it um how do we so the deeper question here is how do you cultivate an appreciation for the gift of femininity in the world today um i think you know in a lot of different ways the the gift of femininity sets a standard for the culture so what whatever standard uh the gift of femininity um puts forward, affirms, brings into the world, the rest of culture will, will, will come to that, to that end, I think. You know, you, you, you never really know what you have until it's gone. And, and one of the things that uh, I came away with from my mother's death is, is just an appreciation for the vocation of motherhood. Um, you know, I just I marvel because I just think it's just probably one of the greatest vocations um, in the world uh, yeah. uh, to be a mom. You know, so uh, um, it's uh, how do how do we do that? How how do we cultivate uh, and help women to understand the, the the gift of their femininity and what it means to the world and to be able to bring that into the world with dignity, with reverence. I, you know, where, where do you want to end up with the gift of your femininity? I think the one place where you want to wind up is a place of reverence uh, for uh, the gift of femininity. And the only way you're ever going to get that is with the gift of permanence, you know, with, uh, you know, it's always so moving with, with weddings when they come up before God and they exchange their vows, you know, that, you know, until death do we part, you know, I'm going to die for you. You know, that is, you know, um, th- that's where the, 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 the true elegance of, of the gift of femininity can, can, can be brought into the world, I think, you know. I don't know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think the word that com- keeps coming to mind as you're talking, Father, is faith. Because everything you said is true, but do you believe it, right? Uh, and I think it, in our work in dealing with college students as they're really exploring relationships and trying to discern their vocation, trying to possibly meet that future spouse. And we, we get to have a front row seat to a lot of that young love developing. And then you see the engagement happen. Yeah. And then you're so excited for them. And then the wedding day comes. And, it, and it's just so incredible to watch. But but 
do you believe it, right? Because because what we're maybe talking about is trying to convince somebody uh, that this is worthy to live their whole life on. That that if you commit to this and pour out your whole life as a libation on this, that at the end of it, hundred years from now, when, when you're sitting there on your deathbed and you look back, there will be no regrets whatsoever mm-hmm. because your fruitfulness was was in the realm or, or maybe on the plane of, of the supernatural, the immortal, mm-hmm. right? The, the bringing forth of new life, which, I mean, not even the angels get to co-create with God in this particular mm-hmm. unique way. It's so unique to us as human beings that we get to have a body and a soul and that we get to participate in his co-creation with, with him on this. So, you know. I think that's, you know, part of the goal that know. we try to do with like, you know, Decora celebrating the giftedness yeah. of, of feminine genius is, uh, just, just helping, I don't know, uh, young adults explore the universe of, of the gift of, of femininity um, to, you know, you know, consider that it's more than just a utilitarian function where yeah. you jump into the world, get a job, and make lots of money, and you're going to be happy. Yeah, because it's know? this materialist <laughs> reduction, right? And, and the conditioning is so broad and so deep in a lot of our minds and hearts because of the culture so pervasive yeah. in this, this, this like uh, utilitarian career drumbeat, rather than seeing it for something, pointed yeah. towards something, right? That the, the gifts and the talents that we would cultivate in, in the pursuit of education and, and skill development is not an end of itself, but it's for something. And, and that's, that greater something would be children, marriage, well, yeah, family. And the greatest yeah. potential, you know, oh my gosh, you know, watching a, a, a mother hold her child and care for it uh, and nurture um, her child uh, I think it's there in in the arms of uh, of a mother and in, in the lap of a mother where we 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 begin you know the the basic beginnings of of, of being formed and yeah. what kind of what kind of path we're going to go down, either you know a good path or or, or a bad path is it, it all starts there you know. Um, so I think that's the true wonder, the genius of motherhood, the uh, the beauty of it is. Um, um, and its its potentiality to to bring saints into the world is is just incredibly it's just ginormous. Yeah. <laughs> so. And there's there's no argument against that picture you just painted with a mother holding her child mm. like that. There, there's there's just simply no argument that can be had that says that's not the point. That's not what it's all for. Because there's so much peace and happiness and joy in that one moment. That when when you have a glimpse of it, you can just sort of have a foretaste of it. It's the most satisfying experience on this earth, right? Is, well, is just, I don't know. There is. is there? You know, I'm just trying to think in a reverse way, but maybe that's bad. But um, you know, what woman does doesn't enjoy you know holding her baby, right? You know, and, or, or even and, get a, a group of women together where there's a baby present and watch what happens. <laughs> it, I, it's wow. not the same thing that happens when a group of men get together and there's a baby. Who's holding the baby? <laughs> yeah, yeah like trying to like year turn, you know, but the uh, women, they just can't get enough. They just oh, want to hold. It's, 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 so it's cool. ingrained yeah. in their nature to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, or even the college students, you've yeah. seen it, you know, well, like yeah, uh, well, when you bring your kids over here, how how they all want to hold they the all baby. Do. Yeah. And, and, and you pass it around, know, it's great. Right. I love yeah. it because- uh, You got all the volunteer babysitters absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah and, and by the way none of, uh, of the male students have yet babysat for our family so mm-hmm. just 
putting it out there. All a lot of the women they they do and, and and babysit for other young families and things in the area. So yeah, so motherhood, what a gift, you know. Yeah. Thank God for the gift of motherhood. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, no, it really is. It really is amazing. Um, I guess as we roll to an end of this, we're kind of coming up on time here. We're gonna. Ha- I know for sure we're gonna have to come back to the topic just. Uh, as we get other guest speakers and just because it's such a huge topic to talk about the family and motherhood and fatherhood. Um, we didn't even get to the, the role of the son and son and daughter here, but uh, right. we'll definitely get that to that in the future. But um, yeah, some key points that we, we touched on um, just being a, a good role model for your children. Um, yeah. Being, being the man you need to be and being the example for your children that you need to be. Um, and how do you, I guess, how do you cultivate those um, virtues? Um, just go to go to church. Go find a, a, a good parish. Go come to the Newman Center if you're if you're a young adult. Come to a Newman. That's Center right, Matt. Everybody come to the Newman Center. <laughs> Everybody come it. to the Newman Center. But yeah, what are what are some key points that you guys had from this episode? Yeah, I think in my mind it just gets summed up in um, that classic passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 5, where he talks about that relationship of, of husband and wife and children, and, and it kind of spills over to the beginning of chapter 6. But, you know, wives, be obedient to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. But then it, it's interesting because then he goes into the fourth commandment, like children, obey your parents so that you may live a long life on earth. So it's actually all this whole sort of icon of the Trinity is wrapped up into a good life, a happy life. And I think that's that's kind of, in my mind, what sums all of it up is if we do this well, we actually cultivate life, an abundant life, and that we actually fulfill who God created us to be. And, and it passes on a heritage to the next generation and the generation after that. So that, that abundant good life is available to them. They don't have to start from scratch, like some homesteader trying to break up the you know, the earth on the prairie, like, no, they have fertile ground already that, that they can they can grow in, and what a benefit to them. So if I can just pass that heritage on, so my generation and to my children and their children and so on and so forth, they'll be, they'll be wrapped up uh, with an abundant life uh, here on earth. Amen. All right, so we want to just thank you, Father Cheney, for joining us for this Oh, episode. thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it was a blast. Praise God. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Um, like, subscribe, share, all that fun stuff. Oh, one other thing, too. So so we're, we're trying to figure out theme music here. So oh, yes. We're going to be, we're gonna be uh, trying out some different intro and extra music here as we, as we develop and grow this podcast. So, so you might notice a few, few changes week over week, but maybe we'll put out a survey here after a few episodes yeah. where, where we can uh, get your input on, see which one, which one uh, sort of matches the vibe of this podcast as we as we kind of build it out but uh but yeah so so pay attention to that if you like it uh maybe maybe comment and, and share on that what you liked about it yeah lives last, in catholic last. changing hearts changing lives forming future leaders amen amen